This recording is a production of Faith Builders. This presentation was recorded at REACH 2013, a conservative Anabaptist ministry convention hosted by Faith Builders on March 14 and 15, 2013. Just a thrill to be here this morning and to share with you. My name is Phil Hirschberger. I have the privilege of serving as director at Camp Andrews. This workshop is on guidelines for working with children. And I just commend you for your interest in working with children. And in a minute, I want to just ask for you to share just really briefly a question you have or some reason you chose this workshop. Is it because it's, you know, you can find a back seat or is it because there's a particular reason you came here or a particular question you have or concern you have? I'd love to hear what those are. So hopefully what we share today today will be relevant to where you are at. Uh, The workshop will not be heavy, heavy dose academic but it will be basic and simple because that's how I am. So I'm just going to share how I am. I, a number of times in the workshop it talks about it's not about you, it's about the children. And uh, I need to practice what I preach because it's not about me and impressing how much I know. It's about the children and sharing. Okay, let's dig right in. A little bit of background where I'm coming from. Uh, I grew up in Canada. I was born in Canada on the mission field in northwestern Ontario. And a lot of what I'm sharing today, my mom and dad didn't sit me down on a a sofa and say, now listen here, Phil, this is how you reach children. This is how you care about them. This is what you do. They just lived it. They just lived it. And it was from their heart and from their passion. So this morning, I'm hoping, yes, maybe you'll learn some things that are worth writing down. But most of all, I hope by osmosis, you capture the heart of God through me this morning. And that you capture his passion and his heart for reaching these children. And for the last 20 years at Camp Andrews, and Brian and Melita are here. They serve there, and, and uh, we have a great team of staff working there. If you want to know more about the camp, we have a display out in the gym. I won't take any time now for that as well. So just quickly, anybody have something to say real quick? Uh, what's a question or what's the reason you chose this workshop? Just to get a little idea of uh, where you're coming from and try to make it as relevant as possible. Anybody? I mean, the description is pretty self-explanatory. I, one thing I don't like about workshops is when you go to the workshop and it's not anything like what the description says. So the description I wrote out of my outline. So it's four points and it's all that description and description is what we're going to talk about. But any question or any, why did you choose to come here? Ready to go? Ready to jump in? Okay, let's get started. So the first thing we want to look at is to renew and catch the vision for reaching children. Because if you're like me, I need to remember, why in the world am I doing this anyway? Even after 20 years, I asked that question, Phil, why are you doing this? What's the point? What's the purpose? Is it really worth it? So we want to talk about that, because I think no matter where you are in ministry, it's good to ask those questions and understand, has God really called me to this? Is this part of his goal for me? Why should I be doing this anyway? Well, first reason I should be doing this is because it's important to Jesus. Over and over again in the Gospels, he talks about, in Matthew 18, he says, Whoso receiveth one little one, receiveth me. And if you offend a little one, it's better that a millstone was hanging around your neck and dropped into the sea. That's pretty drastic. Jesus cares about children. He cares about loving them, but he also cares about offending them. And if you're human and you've worked with children, you've probably offended children at one time or another. And it's a serious thing. 
They won't soon forget it. I can remember adults offending me when I was 5 and 8 and 10 and 12. It really left an impression on me. It's serious business. And I don't know about you, and I'm sure you don't want to. And so we're going to talk about that, how serious that is, but how serious it is to care about them. Because the disciples, you know, they didn't care about the children. Send them away. We don't have time for them. Matthew 10 talks about that. Suffer the, but Jesus said, suffer them to come. And do not forbid them. Do not send them away. Jesus' heart is to reach the children. In verse 14 of chapter 18, it says, It is not the will of my Father that one of these little ones should perish. He doesn't want one to perish. Then he talks about the story about the hundred lost sheep and about one being lost. And it's like, oh, well, we got 99. That's not a bad percentage, you know. Forget about, anyway, he deserves to be out there lost. He has been messing around. He doesn't deserve my love. He doesn't deserve anything. Let him stay lost. Maybe he'll learn a lesson or two. Is that the shepherd's heart? It's my heart sometimes. Right? But no. Jesus said the shepherd goes out and tries to find that one lost sheep. It's never enough in the fold. We need to find that last lost sheep. The passion and the heart that Jesus had that not one of them should perish is very, very real. And over and over in the Gospels, we see that. So why do I do it? Because Jesus would do it. Because Jesus, that's his heart. And then I do it out of love for Jesus as well. One dear lady, she knew how to speak Spanish well, but not much English. But she came to know the Lord as a personal Savior, was on fire for God, and she said, I want to do something for God. I'll do anything for my Jesus who loved me and died for me. And so he said, all we got for you to do is sit on the school bus and make sure the children behave and don't throw rocks through the windows. So she said, okay, no problem. And just remember this, just tell them, I love you and Jesus loves you too. That's all the English pretty much she knew, but she knew that much. So she sat on the school bus, and she grabbed children that looked like they were being left behind or getting in trouble. She sat them on her lap and saying, I love you, and Jesus loves you too. I love you, and Jesus loves you too. That's all she could say. And she noticed there was one boy that he was always by himself. He never had somebody to sit with him. And so she took a special interest in this boy and pretty soon, every time they picked her up, him up for Sunday school, he would find her and sit on her lap. And the same boy, every Sunday morning on the way to Sunday school, and every Sunday morning on the way home from Sunday school, I love you. And Jesus loves you too. I love you. Jesus loves you too. And the boy never said a word. He just sat there. Didn't even know if he knew English. But one day, just before he's ready to get off the bus at his, at his stop, he turned around and gave the lady a big hug and said, I love you too, and ran off. Monday morning, this lady was looking in the newspaper. She was looking in the newspaper, and she noticed the tragedies that happened over the weekend. And a story caught her eye because it was in the same community where they picked up children for Sunday school. And she looked at the story and she started reading it. She started, no, it can't be. It can't be. 
started reading it, and here they, the story said that Sunday evening they were taking out the garbage at an apartment house complex. And when they were taking out the garbage, they noticed something in one of the garbage cans, and it was of a curled-up boy who had been beaten to death and put into the garbage. And it was the same boy that this lady had hugged every day and told him the good news. He was beaten to death, but not before. Not before this dear old lady that didn't know hardly any Spanish, English, hugged that boy, touched his heart before he died. Maybe the only one that ever loved him. You don't have to know much English. You don't have to know a lot of fancy answers. It's good to be educated. But when it all comes down to it, it's far more than just education and right answers. It's knowing the basics. Knowing it's all about, I love you, and Jesus loves you too. And when I'm convinced that I'm doing it out of love for Jesus, because Jesus would... Wow, that's all the backing I need. That's all the backing I need. That's why, by the grace of God, I'm still at it, even if I get tired. Because I know Jesus loves me, and I know I'm doing it out of love for Jesus, and that his eyes see the inside of a person, like those little girls that were lined up in the classroom to do their uh, hearing test, and they walked along the classroom, back of the wall, and they would say something, and the teacher would say something to them, and they would see if they know how to hear and if they're hearing well or not. And so they would walk past. And then came this little girl who had a cleft lip. And it looked really, really deformed. Really looked ugly. And she was really embarrassed about this cleft lip. In fact, she was so embarrassed that when someone asked her, as children are kind of blunt, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? She would say, oh, I had an accident when I was a baby. But it doesn't bother me. And really, she was deformed. She was born that way. And she felt ugly. And like something was really wrong with her. So when the little girl walked across the back of the room, the teacher said something to her. The teacher looked at her and just paused for a couple minutes, a couple seconds. And the teacher looked at her and said, I wish you were my little girl so beautiful I wish you were my little girl that's all she said that's not too profound is it but do you think that made a difference in her I doubt if she ever ever forgot that seeing through the cleft lip and if you're working with any children even good Mennonite children right that child that's Shalom Even at good Mennonite children, sometimes you have to look through the cleft lips and look on the other side of the cleft lip and see down inside that person and see that Jesus died for them. His eyes see the inside, the value, the intrinsic value. Even if there's no good you can see on the outside, nothing whatsoever that would make anybody love that person, child. The mother doesn't even like him. Wishes they wouldn't come home. Jesus sees through that cleft lip and sees inside and sees her heart. And that's why we do ministry. 
is because we see beyond the surface and we see their value and who they are. And of course, Jesus made a priority. When he was busy, he never was too busy for children. He stopped and he said, let them come. I'm never too busy for them. Another reason why we do this anyway. Why do we do ministry anyway? Because it's a golden opportunity. 79% of children accept Christ before they're 21. It's a window of opportunity that's much less likely afterwards. They're teachable when they're younger, much more teachable. I still remember just about every time, not every time, but almost every time when we do activities at Camp Andrews with the children, the younger children usually jump off the zip line real quick or climb a wall real quick. Now, of course, there's some that are scared, of course. But it's so sad because now when they turn 13, 15, 16, 17, all of a sudden they're picking up baggage they're picking up baggage that you can't trust people. And you've been dropped too often. You're not going to get dropped again. And it's often harder and harder to teach them to trust. The teachable window is not near as, as open and wide open. It's not, you're missing the golden opportunity. And not only that, but you're, you're the communists and terrorists understand this. Now, we're not trying to be communists and terrorists, but they understand you reach children when they're young as soon as possible. Reach them when they're young. Grab grab their hearts as soon as they're young. Get a gun in their hands. Get them angry at the infidels, whatever it is. Grab them when they're young. That's the way to change a nation. Because they understand the power of a child that's teachable and open and vulnerable and ready to hear. What a golden opportunity. And then it's so fulfilling. And this golden opportunity, Josh Troop, Brian knows Josh Troop, and Josh is a big guy. Like he was, when he was a kid, he was about as wide as high. You know, he was just a roly-poly guy. And he was young and scared and vulnerable, but he was open. And he wanted so bad to trust people. But it was so hard because he'd been dropped so often in his relationships with his parents and so on. And one day we did the trust fall. And Josh Troop got up, stood up on the stump like this, and crossed his arms like this, and he had to fall back, and everybody had to catch him. Have you done a trust fall? And so he was standing up there, and he's getting ready to fall back. Oh, he's too scared. So he says, fall already. Spotter's ready. He just couldn't fall. And his counselors and the campers behind him were standing there behind him to say, we'll catch you. We'll catch you no matter what. We'll catch you. You can trust us. And Josh is thinking, yeah, right. Look how big I am. He'll never catch me. But he wanted so bad to fall and to trust. Finally, after 45 minutes standing on the stump, 45 minutes he was standing there, till finally he fell back and fell back into their arms. And they caught him. They caught him. And they hugged him. For the first time, he realized there are people I can trust that are going to care about me. And there is hope that not everybody is like what I've been treated before. And I can finally trust people. If you'd ask Josh Troop today, he's almost 30 now. If you'd ask him, when did your life change? He would sit on that trust fall back when I was a kid. 
My life was never the same since. Now he's a member of the church. Now he's active in the church, still loving the Lord. Now he's a counselor. He helps. He's a counselor in a cabin with other children. One teachable moment when he was young. Otherwise, I don't know where he would have ended up. I'd shudder to think where. But it was the golden opportunity when they're young. Let's face it, I'm in ministry because it's fulfilling. I mean, yeah, people get a, a kick out of building a house or fixing a car, and that's all great. I'm glad people fix cars because mine gets broke down, and I don't like fixing it. But it's eternally significant to know that a young child, a young person, is reached and touched and changed. Wow, it's just like, ooh, life is purposeful. It's worth it. So it's eternally significant, and that's true. But very important, we're going to talk about this over and over again, because I'm so convinced this is so true. It can't be about me. Are you in ministry because about you or about the kids, about the children? Is it about you or about the children? Because it is fulfilling. It's great to be a part of it. But if it's about you, you're headed for a train wreck. And you're going to bump up against it and bump up against it. And we'll unpack this a little bit more. It's fulfilling and it's great. But it can't be about you. It's about the children. So important. It's not my worth. It's not, oh, three kids got to say, wow, ain't I, I'm the greatest evangel. I'm the greatest. It's not about your worth. It's not about counting sheep or counting scalps or counting souls or whatever you want to count. It's not about my ego, about, wow, they asked me to have this workshop. I must be the expert. Forget that. I'm not the expert. I'm just a, a servant of God who loves the Lord and loves children. And if people can be inspired and learn, great. It's not about me. It's not about my rights. It's not about, I don't deserve to be treated that way. He shouldn't do that. I don't deserve. Anyway, that's no way to treat somebody important as me. Or control, trying to make them all be just like you and perfect and walk the line. Is it all about you? And we'll unpack this as we talk about discipline and other issues. But we catch the vision, renew the vision. We go back to, is it Jesus' heart? It's his heart. It's his love for them. It's out of my love for him. Just like the Spanish lady that his eyes see the inside and that's why I do what I do. He made it a priority and I will as well. Now, how to, what are some tools to effectively reach children? There's no 100% guarantee. We know that. Children come. Not every children's going to be. There's 9,000 come to Camp Andrews every year. And I don't know what the percentage is. But not near 100% are following the Lord today. We know that. It's not 100%. It's not like a science where you push this button, push this button, and pretty soon out comes good children. But these are some, tip, these are some guidelines that I found helpful and powerful in reaching children. It takes the Holy Spirit. Yes, he takes you, of course. You're here. You want to serve the Lord. But don't forget, you're not running a daycare. You're discipling. Daycares, you get people to walk in line and do what you tell them. And behavior modification. And it's a good day when everybody behaves. Of course it's a good day when everybody behaves. But is that your goal? Are you just running a daycare? Or are you discipling? And there's a big difference. Discipling is heart transformation. Heart transformation, not just a daycare. Behavior modification. 
And does prayer really matter? Can you tell? If I'd have you raise your hands, and I won't embarrass you, but if you'd all, I'd say, how many believe that prayer is important in children's ministry? Everybody would raise your hand. I'm sure everybody would raise your hand. But do you really believe it? It's just like the church that got together and they prayed against this bar that opened up in town. The first bar that opened up in town. This church got together. Special prayer meeting. All night prayer meeting. We're serious about this. We're going to pray this bar burns down or somehow gets destroyed. So they're praying. They're praying. The church, they're praying. But middle middle of the night, all of a sudden this thunderstorm comes through. This is a true story. Thunderstorm comes through. Lightning strikes. Strikes the bar. Burns to the ground. Gone. The next day, the bar owner goes to court and sues the church. Sues the church for burning his bar down. And you know what the church's response was? We didn't do it. We were just praying. We were in the church honest. We didn't burn it down. We were in the church praying. The judge, giving his final ruling, got up front and said, well, it's kind of obvious to me that the bar owner believes in prayer, but the church doesn't. Yeah, of course, you're supposed to pray because all good Mennonite ministries pray, you know, in ministry because that's the good thing to do. And you're rushing around getting all ready. Oh, we forgot to pray. Okay, huddle up. Here, we got a minute here quick before they come. Let's pray quick. Or do I say, like I try to tell our staff and try to remind us, if God doesn't show up this summer, if God doesn't show up this weekend, we are toast. We are toast. We are wasting our time and we're wasting donors' money. We are toast if God doesn't show up. And it's easy for me to stand up because it's a spiritual thing to say. Yes, that's so true. But would my life back that up? If I say a medicine is really effective, it's the cure for every sickness and it's a cure for your sickness, and you ought to take some because this medicine works. You ought to take some. And you tell everybody that. But if I was to go home in your medicine cabinet, there would be your jar of medicine full and never used. Do you really believe in the medicine? Does my life really show that I believe that prayer is crucial? And if the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene in ministry, we're all just running a daycare. We're just wasting our time for any eternal significance. My life will show one way or the other. And then to reach them effectively, they need to win their heart. Win their heart is be personal and show genuine interest. You know, it'd be so great if you could just play the game and just go through the motions, but children, especially young people, can just read your hearts like a book. It's not what you say. It's not saying the right things and smiling the right smile and going through the right motions. They can read that like a book. It's what your heart really feels about them. And it's time you're honest. Because if you don't care about them, get out of it. Or get on your knees. Because they can tell. And you're not going to be effective. If you don't care about them, if it's not personal and you you show a genuine interest in them, Get out. That's kind of blunt, isn't it? 
But they can, don't go through the motions and just know all the Mennonite answers and Mennonite colloquial, you know, just say all the right words and cute things to say to children and, oh, you poor thing, you, or whatever. If you don't care about them, get on your knees until you do. Or else get out. Learn to remember their names. This sounds so simple, but I, I just say this every, to staff all the time. When you take a group of children, within 10 minutes, you ought to know their names. Figure out some way to know all their names especially if it's only 8 or 10. Figure out something. There's tricks to do it. Learn their names and say them as often as you can without being weird. Say their na- they rather hear your, their name than any w- word in the English language, even better than I love you. Learn their names quick and say them often. Interact with them personally. Not, hey, you. That doesn't work. Identify the leader and get alongside of him. Identify and respect the leader of the group. Because there's a leader in the group. There's a pecking order in every group. Derek was one of the leaders in one of the groups. And Derek was just running his mouth. He was like obnoxious. And he knew everything. And knew all the answers. And he was just out front there doing his thing. And I was trying to do this activity with the children. And it wasn't going so great. Until like, oh, Derek's the leader. Duh. So I get alongside Derek here when we go to the next thing. I said, hey, Derek, what do you think about that next thing over there? What, what would you do? Well... And he was just, you know, Phil would talk to me, you know. And so Derek says, well, well, this is what I would do. I said, would you mind telling everybody what you would do? And just, you know, I think, how about this and how about this? Soon Derek was saying that. He was my right-hand man. And all of a sudden, the rest of the group just followed right in line. We had a great time the rest of the time. Identifying their leader, working with them, working within their own structure. Identifying their leader is the way to win their hearts. You're recognizing their own leadership among them. Recognizing your leader. And now, Derek, that young guy that was so obnoxious was here last summer, right, Brian? And he was a counselor of the oldest group of cabin boys from New York City. And if you know about that, that's a tough group. And he was their counselor. And they listened to him because he knew their language. And he knew what it was like to be where they were. So identify their leader. Then value and respect. Very, very crucial. First of all, yourself. Now, I'm not talking about bragging about yourself, but truly value and respect yourself. If you're apologetic, hang your head, feel threatened by their response to you, just uh, you wouldn't want to play Gaga, would you guys? And you, I know it's a terrible cabin to be in, but hey, we're the beehives, so we're going to make the best of it. I never did this before, but I didn't have anything else to do this week, so here I am. Or apologetic. Hanging your head, like, I don't know why I'm doing this, and I sure don't know what I'm doing, but I hope we make the best of it. It's hard for them to respect you if that's the way you're acting. Sorry. It's just hard. I'm not trying to put you down. But if it's all about yourself, if you're all worried about yourself and worried about how you're going to look and how you're going to come across and how impressive you are, I mean, like, the best way to... do ministry is just forget about yourself for a while and just focus on them. Forget about yourself. Did you know dogs bite fearful people? <laughs> if you're scared of a dog, you know he's quicker to bite you. If you're scared of a kid, it's quicker they'll bite you too. Think about it. That, that is the way it is. If you're scared of them, they'll bite you quicker too. Nothing to lose. Know you care. Know you're called and you have backup. I like the illustration of the fence post with a turtle on top. 
You ever see that before? A fence post with a turtle on top. You ever see a turtle on top of a fence post? What's the first thing that crosses your mind if you see a turtle on top of a fence post? He didn't get there by himself. He was put there, right? Are you in ministry because you put yourself there? Because you think you have so much to offer? Or do you have a sense that God put you there? God put that burden on your heart. God has called you to this ministry. I would never be on top of this fence post if it wasn't for God's direction. When you have that kind of backup, I got nothing to lose. I'm on a mission. I'm called by God to be here. I have nothing to hang my head about. I'm sent by the God of the universe. And he has anointed me and called me to this. A sense of being called. And that your identity is not your ministry. Just like Amos said this morning, to speak with confidence. Not because you're such a great guy, but because you serve such a great and awesome God. And then respecting them. They can see very clearly, very quickly, what you think of them. They see right through what you say, all the pretty things you say. They can tell in 10 seconds what you think of them. I get a group together for ropes course, and I get together, and they all gather around, and I look them in the eye, eye contact, and look them in the eye and say, man, I'm so glad you're here. Look them in the eye, talk to them, learn their names, interact with them. They can pick up really quick if you think they're a bunch of junk or if you think they really are worth your time. They can pick it up in 10 seconds flat. So quick. You can't even hide it. And so when I prepare, yeah, you have to prepare activities and what you're supposed to do. But i got to, first of all, prepare my heart. Because if I show up and my heart's not there, I don't care how much I've planned, it's not going to work well. But respecting them and value them. All kinds of ways you can do that. Eye contact is huge. When they talk, look them in the eye. Right, Brian? I'm looking you in the eye and I'm hearing what you say. You can tell I'm listening to you. Right? Tell I'm taking you seriously. I respect you. That's powerful. Just eye contact. Saying their name. Asking questions back. Never demean or embarrass. Never. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care what they did. There's never, ever a reason to demean or embarrass a child. Never. We'll talk about discipline a little bit later. But never demean or... Jesus would never do that. He would correct them but he wouldn't demean or, or embarrass them in any way. You embarrass them, you lost them. They're not gonna, you don't have their heart, probably won't get it. At least not right away back. Get on their level. I love just crouching down. Sometimes the little children just crouch down on their level. But build ownership. Let them pick the goals and identify, you know what? When I come up with all the rules and all the goals and all the activities, what am I telling them without even telling them? They're dumb. They don't know. They don't even know what good rules are. They're dumb. Because I never asked them. But how would it change if I would say, now listen here, guys. What do you think, what would be some great goals you'd have for this, this next two hours we're together? What are some great goals? What would you just love to do? Well, this is what we love to do. We love to do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are things that are going to mess us up if it would get us off track of having a good, fun time together? Well, if we put each other down, that's going to be really, that's going to ruin things. And you got the picture. They can come up with it. They're no dummies. You're not this all-wise, super spiritual Mennonite that knows everything. You know a lot. But are you humble enough to say, okay, you children, 
Let's get together. Let's make it our group. Let's make it what you would like to make as goals. Now, of course, you steer that and you lead that. But a sense of ownership. Who wants to break your own rule? Not me. A sense of ownership and goal setting. It's about them. But without even saying it, I'm saying you are smart enough to do this. You have what it takes. I'm respecting them. I'm valuing them. Huge, huge communication without even saying it. Okay, value and respect. And then clear expectations. What is crucial? Once you talk about it as a group, avoid confusion. Make sure it's really clear what you're expecting. No gray area. You're expecting this. Make sure it's clear. There's no question. Don't assume and don't surprise. Any child hates surprises. If you have your own children, you know what I'm talking about. No surprises. You're consistent. You're up front. Okay, for the next two hours, this is what we're going to do. And we're gonna, then we get together and we talk about goals and rules and so on. Okay, that's the expectations. It's all out there. It's all clear. Okay, everybody understands? Good. Now we go. And don't add any as you go along. Got it? Clear expectations. Do the do's and don't do the don'ts. If you spend your time doing the do's, you're not going to have time to do the don'ts. Someone told me that a long time ago. When you give rules, give them in a positive light. Give them, okay, everybody, we're going to have pool time. And everybody, tell me what you think would be a fun time and a safe time at the pool. Talk to me now. What is it going to be? Someone said, no running on the deck. That's a great idea. How else can we have a fun time and a safe time at the pool? What else? Oh, no throw bottles at people. Okay, that's a great one. Okay, anybody else? Show respect for each other. Okay, great one. Everybody ready for the pool? And they go, yeah. Are you ready for the pool? And then they raise their voice, and they're all excited. They have the expectations clear. They made the rules. Their own, they own them. And we're ready to have a fun time and a safe time. So I'm like, all right, Camp Andrews pool, we don't throw balls. Got that? And also, we don't hit anybody. Got it? Okay. Same rules. But what's our focus? clear expectations, but you're affirming their behavior and their character. And then consistent discipline. When someone does mess up, because they're going to mess up, it just happens. Get to the heart. Don't just say, hey, quit running. Maybe the first time you would say that. But after a while, you say, hey, what's going on here? Hear their hearts. Like the guy that was acting up, he was just a rascal. He was just a mess in the pool. He was a mess everywhere. So finally, we pulled the guy aside and said, could you draw a picture of your family? So he drew a picture of his family, his mom and his brother and his sister and his other sister. Then down in the corner of the paper, he drew a picture of a garbage can. And so the counselor asked him, so this is a picture of your family. This is a picture of your mom and your brother. Well, what's the garbage can for? This is supposed to be a picture of your family. And he goes... That's where my dad is. My dad's in that garbage can, and he belongs in that garbage can, and he better stay in that garbage can because he is trash. He walked out on my mom. I am so mad at him. I could just, just, man, if I could get my hands on him. He hurt us so bad. Oh. Now I got the picture. Hmm. 
So then that boy walks off with the counselor. And that counselor starts being a dad to that boy. And is what the boy always dreamed of in a dad. And they go for a nice long walk. Maybe they grab some fishing poles and start fishing. Maybe they do a couple other things one-on-one. You know, you could just spank that, or you could just discipline that boy as much as you wanted to. But if you never got to that heart, that deep pain in his heart, you're just running a daycare. It's messier. It's more complicated. But it's about hearing their hearts. Not excusing their behavior, but asking questions. You may not know the whole picture. Affirm what the, that they're not bad, but the choice they made was bad. So be in tune, but also be humble about it. You don't know everything. It's not all about you. It's not about you being the powerful white Mennonite. It's not about you, but hurting with them. And be flexible with your schedule. Hurting with them. One time, uh, some group of guys were just messing around, and this counselor was just at the end of himself. I don't know what to do with these boys. It's just impossible. And then so we had a pile of stones not by plan, but it was a pile of stones down by the bottom of the hill. We have a big steep hill at Camp Andrews. And so he said, well, let's wait till 10 o'clock, and we'll get some wheelbarrows and shovels, and we'll move that whole pile of stones all the way up the hill and by wheelbarrow up to the top of the hill. And maybe that will help to break through some of the barriers we have here with the boys. And so they started doing that. But the boys said, we ain't doing that. You ain't making us slaves. We ain't doing that. You racist you know, racial, racial, you know what, he, what they said. Okay. The counselor said, okay. You don't have to do anything, but you have to stay with us because we're a cab and we're going to stay together. So they did. And so the counselors started shoveling the stones and started wheeling them up. And it took two counselors because it was a steep hill. Tried to wheel them up the hill. And these campers had to run along behind. He had to stay with them. He didn't have to do a thing, but stay with them. And they were puffing and puffing and went down and got another one. Pretty soon they put a bandana around their forehead because it was just sweating so bad. And they were puffing and puffing and working. And the campers could see the sweat coming out their chest. And they were just puffing up and down the hill. And these campers would just walk along behind them and just watch them. And all of a sudden the campers started saying, Hey, can I help you? Can I help you? The counselor said, No, it's okay. It's okay, we'll do it. So they kept doing it. Finally, the campers say, yeah, we've got to help you, man. This is terrible. Man. This is terrible. Can we help you? Can we help you? No. We get, well, it's okay. We got it. Can we help you? No. I kept sweating, kept sweating. Finally, these campers are just feeling so terrible. And go, man, we got to help you. Come on, let us push. No, it's okay. We got it. You said you didn't want to help. You don't have to. I kept pushing, kept pushing. These campers were just about beside themselves by the end. Because it just felt so bad. These guys were just sweating, sweating. Then back in the cabin, they started talking about this. Started talking about this. And the campers were just so broken. And saying, man, we feel so bad. We're the ones that messed up. Our attitudes stunk. Yeah, you're right, they did. And so they were honest and broken and open. Then they talked about creative solutions as well. Getting out of their comfort zone, take, don't take it personal, but then start getting creative. And they started creative solutions like, you know, that's what Jesus did for us. We try to save ourselves, but it's never good enough. We need Jesus to forgive us and save us. Huge breakthrough for those boys. 
But it's because they had consistent discipline and they were in tune and they were humble enough and they were creative. That was a creative idea. Sometimes it's other consequences that relate to the offense, but it's using it and making it a teachable moment, doing one-on-one with the boys. You have all the handouts. I need to wrap this up, so I'm just going to fly through quite a bit here. Hang with me because we're going for a ride. We've got about five minutes? Less than five. How many minutes? Three. Three. Ready? Here we go. Say what you mean and mean what you say. If you say it, mean it. Back it up. If you don't mean it, don't say it. Very important to be consistent and disciplined. Choosing your battles wisely. Don't fight on every hill. And then potential liabilities. I don't like talking about liabilities, but they wanted me to talk about that, and I've got some handouts I think will be really helpful. But we be wise but not scared. And identity forms are great to sign. I'll talk about that more if you, want, if you have any questions about that. Physical touch, we have a policy about that. Don't be naive. I know you went skinny dipping when you were a kid in the farm pond, but this day is different, okay? It's different. And you know where most of the issues are? Our same gender danger, not even cross-gender anymore. So get with it. It's not same, it's not opposite. I mean, sure, it's still guys and girls running after, you know, doing things they shouldn't. But same gender danger, that's where most of the issues that come up because we're so naive, we don't even get it. So be aware, be wise. And when do you have physical touch? Never for discipline, never to control behavior. That's my personal opinion. If you need physical restraint to control a person, you've lost control. But sometimes, yeah, never humiliating, but, never, but when there's a danger to themselves or others, that's when you'd physically restrain somebody. That's restraining somebody. That's not physically disciplining somebody, okay? But know how to do that. There's a good way and there's not a good way, and there's courses to take. If you want to know more, just ask me, or Teresa Beachy teaches the course on that. But never for discipline. Never to control behavior. Never to humiliate. We had groups that come to Camp Andrews and they held the boys' hands all around camp, just held their hand. And Oh, man, that was so humiliating. No proper physical restraint. And breaking dysfunctional cycles, you know this, but there's one group that came to camp, 150 children, only three lived in a home with a mom and a dad, their own biological mom and dad. Do you, are you, do you know where your children are coming from? Like that boy that wrote the garbage can story, you know? Do you know the children's story? It really can help you a lot. But no, I don't know what your ratio is, but ours is three out of 150 that even have a biological mom and dad. But add staff who understand. Don't think you have to know it all. Add staff that grew up in homes like that and understand because they never saw a family. Cast a vision for what they could could have as a family, what a family really likes because they never saw one. Some of them never saw a real family, that you're not a victim, that God has a plan. You don't have to be just like your mom and dad or uncle and aunt. Create a home environment where you have mom and pop. It's safe and secure. There's belonging. There's acceptance. And there's a role model that you can look up to. Cast that vision. Don't repeat the cycle. Cast that vision for all of them to hear. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to stay here as long as there's people. If you want to ask any questions, uh, I'll be glad to interact with you. But what is the bottom line? It's what Jesus would do. It's what his heart is and his passion. And if he has called you to it, you're like a turtle on a fence post. You're called by him. And what a calling it is. It's worth it. Thank you. God bless you.
This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders Educational Programs. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.